You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, everybody, Rick Bassman here with Talking Tough. It's uh, sun is about to go down here on Maui, and the weather is really weird. There's a giant rainbow just outside my window. Otherwise, it is gray and windy, and the best word I could use to describe it is eerie. It's kind of got that, like, end of days vibe going, which is perfect for the show. Uh, it just sets the tone. Our guest today, he is all over the media. I know he's fielding media requests daily from around the world. So we are very lucky to have him on today. I don't know him, save for a few minutes talking to him before we just hit live, uh, but I'm a fan of his work. Now, a lot of listeners might find that surprising because I'm not the most conservative guy out there. This gentleman says what he does appeals to a conservative crowd. He's a billionaire, he's very successful. He's also six foot eight and 300 pounds, so he could be a giant pro wrestler we've had on the show, but he's not that. He's a very successful businessman. And I, and I, I exactly this up because who am I to argue with him? So I think his crowd is everybody. But we'll find out. We'll talk about it. His name is Robert. I'll give the introduction in a second. He owns, he's a founder and CEO of Vivos. Vivos is far and away the global leader and I don't know if I have the title of the business right. Robert will correct me. I'm sure if I'm wrong. We've all heard of the prepper movement. Now, that's got a funny connotation. Again, I'm a fan and I'm a supporter. But what it means basically is you're going out of your way to prepare for the impending apocalypse. This guy has made an art form out of taking this business to a, worth, to a standard worthy of a billionaire such as himself. He has some of the wealthiest clients on earth. Some very high profile. I don't know who they are. I'm sure we can't talk about that. But the guy who is far ahead of the curve on preparing for the end of the world more than anybody else, my guest today, right here on Talking Tough, Mr. Robert Vecino. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Robert, really glad to have you, man. And I wanted to speed through that introduction and, and get you get you on air here. We had some pretty cool conversation before we got started. Uh, I, I think I forgot to tell you that we weren't already going, so I felt like we were into a good show already. But might have to go back a little bit. We'll have some fun. Uh, first of all, where, where are you coming from today? Are you uh, are you in an underground bunker secured away somewhere? No, unfortunately not. I'm in California, where we will never build a bunker because of this is point ground zero, and for many events, including natural. So, but I do live in Southern California. I'm, I live in a town called Del Mar, right on the coast, right next to the racetrack, overlooking the ocean and the waves, just, you know, God's country temperatures in the last week have been 75, 80 degrees, clear blue. So it's hard to leave here and I won't leave here until it's time, but I'll know when it's time because I, I know I can hear hear the rumblings and read the tea leaves. And I have many means of getting there. And I will to there being I whatever you might. would be. I figured you'd be more sensitive to that to anybody else. You would, you would know. And I want to ask you for, for the clues because I want to know, and I'm sure everybody watching and listening 
to the show is going to want to know what the clues are. But I want to ask you this first. I want to make sure I describe your business correctly. You meet somebody in an elevator that doesn't know anything about your business. What? How do you fill them in by the time the doors open? What is Vivo Sex? Uh, well, I'll give you my elevator spiel. You ready? Absolutely. We're going down. We're going down. Now, the question is, how far down are we going? And when would you like to get off? Would you like to get off on the floor that you will survive? Or would you like to go lower to where it's too late, you're not going to survive? And so in that regard, I offer people a life assurance solution. It's something that is in the form of real estate. You own a bunker or a share of a bunker that with other people. But it is something that you can go to uh, at any time when you believe, when your gut tells you it's time, uh, when the, you either your alarms go off or the, uh, you're listening closely to the news or you're seeing soldiers in the street or you're seeing anarchy down the road um, or you just know how to read the tea leaves. But, you know, I always say it's better to have a solution to bug out to, at least you got a, bu a bug out, than no solution at all. And it's better to go, even if it's a false alarm, than have no alarm at all. So, you know, I was on, I was on uh, Fox News a few years ago with one of their uh, prime. Hey, you got to get that guy. Uh, with uh, some of their prime, with one of their prime time hosts, who uh, very very popular, and she goes, "Well, how will we know when it's time to go?" I said, "You're going to have to use your own judgment and listen to your own newscast. Listen, to, open your window, listen to what's going on out on the streets. Um, see what's you're going to have to read in between the lines because media is not going to tell you. But when you feel it's time to go, it's only a question of what are you willing to give up." And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, are you willing to take the kids out of school, pack the uh, SUV, um, or buy a ticket on an airplane, and, and head out of town, get some time off from work, and head to your designated shelter, be it a half a day or a day away, before things make it impossible, um, on a what-if basis? Or... Do you want to wait and see? I want to wait and see when it's coming out of the sky or when the nuke has already gone off. You know, I said, you know, everything is a risk and you have to be uh, part of the equation. So the question is, what are you willing to give up? I mean, giving up a few days work, giving up a little bit of money to go visit your shelter. If you did a dozen, if you did it a dozen times in your lifetime, good, good, good for you. At least it's better than never getting there because you never took it serious. So, you know, that's the only key to Vivos. And we have people coming from all over the world to get to shelters in America, in Europe. Uh, you know, it knows no boundaries. And right now I have solicitations from Ecuador, Peru, uh, let's see, uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia. Uh, and they're willing to pay anything to have to build to build the facilities you're talking about. Build facilities for the sheiks right. and the royals right. and so on. Okay. Which, which Robert, I'm a little little hesitant to do, but I, I can understand why. But allow me to interrupt. I'm sorry. I, I want to 
I want to frame something for a moment only because I've read a bunch on you. So we're talking about the person can take work off and go to their bunker. Now, most people have seen an episode of, you know, Walking Dead or whatever it is. So I think a lot of people might be thinking bunker. Oh, yeah. Somebody's got like a wooden hatch underneath the dirt. They open it. They go down there. They've got some food. This is not what we're talking about. Uh, I, let's, can you describe like the vastness, the scope? of Vivos. These are underground luxury cities, are they not? Yes, they are. But let me refer to the ones you've started with. Be it a wooden hatch or a trap door or it's under a rock or whatever, it means typically it's a family backyard shelter. And there's plenty of companies out there selling them. What they don't tell you is you're not going to survive. You cannot survive these type of events long term. Uh, You're not going to be able to secure them, even if you have a, a family of wrestlers, uh, from uh, the, uh, let's say, anarchists and desperados and, and um, what would be the worst thing? Uh, um, those that are ready to have you for lunch. Sure. What What's that called? Uh, cannibalism. Cannibals. Cannibals. Yeah. Check, check the Donner pottery in uh, the Tahoe, California Pass there, the Donner Pass. I know this is one of my favorite books. I know it well. Yes. And then there was the movie. There was the movie Survive down in uh, South America in the Andes. The Andes in Peru, the Andes, yeah. Yeah. From a a European uh, soccer team that crashed in in a jet. And some of them survived. And they tried every way to, you know, to try and uh, get help. They couldn't. Nobody came for them. And they ate what they could, and then they finally ate each other. That's so, right. you know, it's a, it's a very gross thing to discuss, but horrific. But it's truth. It's reality. People will resort to cannibalism when they get hungry enough. And when well, this let me ask you, I want to ask you a selfish question. And I, I know you're gonna, your answer is going to make me feel horrible, but I have to ask. So I, li- I live on Maui. I'm up on top of this big hill in a forest. I have one neighbor, good friend, a hundred yards apart from me. We all have our, you know, our gun, our handguns and our shotguns and whatnot. I have a few hundred rounds. I'm not ready to go to war. Certainly. I've got my pack of pit bulls. You heard them before. We've got good lines of sight all around us. Are we sitting ducks up here? Do we have any chance or better chance than anybody else? As long as you're stealthy and you're, you've, can control your boundaries, your perimeter, and you know the pa- the methods they're going to approach, just like any other military would. And you plan it out, and you might have to have some anti-measures in place, everything from barbed wire to razor wire to whatever, the booby traps, I hate to say it. But, you know, we're talking, uh, there's, there's two types, there's two stages of, of life. There's under the rule of law, which people won't do anything outrageous. You can pick up the phone and call the sheriff. But there's with no rule of law. And when there's no rule of law, it's game on. You are the law. You will have to do what it takes to survive and defend your family, your friend, and so on. So I would encourage you to get a pact with your neighbors and Mm -hmm. be sure they're on the same wavelength. Be sure they're like mine. Be sure they're equally prepared with, you know, guns, ammo, food, medicine, everything. So they're not eventually cannibalizing you. Right. Of course. Sure. Share your, share your resources and come up with a plan. 
But, you know, you're in a unique situation. Now, somebody in Los Angeles or Chicago, forget about it. Is that a New Jersey expression? Forget Just it. Share, share a population base, I guess you're referring to. Yeah, you, there's no way you're going to survive. We've all seen movies of disaster. I mean, New York is almost there now. It's, you know, D.C. is a ghost town. And, right. and, and right. that's, that's pre-event. So, you know, we can talk about the things that would cause you to go to shelter after. But the, the, the point about the wood hatch is you will not be able to defend it unless you're in a very, very remote area. Because right. if you're in the hills or in the desert, they're going to trip over it. They're going to smell your cooking. They're going to hear your generator. They're going to find you. There was a movie called The Road that was very, um, very accurate in how it depicted. Uh, great. Corbett McCarthy. Great movie. Great book also. Yes. The sequence of events. They will find you. They will flush you out. And they'll take what you got. And then what? You're back on the road and they got what you got. And if it's peaceful, great. But, you know, nothing, don't count on it being peaceful. People, the ugliest will come out. Sure. Those what? that aren't prepared are your biggest enemy. I w yeah, the, the have nots, I guess you would call them. I, I suppose. I'm going to have not. That's right. So what, what is, what's what the think? difference in You want to, you want to hear that? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please. All right, I didn't cut you off, but it's time to give you a comparison. Um, we don't build backyard bunkers that everybody in the neighborhood or at the end of the row or in the cul-de-sac knows. I, I was invited on Doomsday Preppers three seasons in a row, and we turned them down every year. And I never saw the show, but I did see the first commercial, and I said, what? Look what they're doing to these people, making them look like idiots. So anyways, the third, same producer, a young gal, called every year and finally got me, and I said, uh, we're not interested in being on your show. And she goes, well, our show's nothing without you. I said, yeah, I know that. You've got a lot of wannabes, but um, uh, we're not going to be on your show. And she goes, well, our producer would like to So I said, okay, put him on. So 30 seconds later, he picks up. And I knew who he was, and I knew where he was. And so he says, Robert, what do I got to do to get you on my show? And I said, Alan, I will never go on your show. And he said, why not? And I said, because you make everybody out to be an idiot, toothless idiot. And he goes, well, I don't, but that's what the, ca the camera does because it's what the camera sees. And I said, no, it's, it's, that, it's that and a little creative editing, and voila, you've you destroyed somebody's credibility. And you've also given away all of their secrets, their, their whatever they've prepared for, and people now know, oh, I know that guy. He's down the street. He lives at the end of the cul-de-sac. Oh, he's got that in his garage and in his basement. And I know, where his, I know where his hideout is in the woods. I walk by that all the time. So mm -hmm. I said, you know what, Alan? Not interested. I agree with you, Alan. I said, the people that go on your show are idiots. For 15 minutes of fame, they've given up their whole plan. And <laughs> so, not a good exchange, no. Wow. And I said, so for that reason, you know, we're not we're not one of the toothless idiots. We're 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 extremely way above that. And so I said, but let me ask you a question, Alan. Are you sitting in your office right now? He said, yeah. I said, you see the building across the street? And he goes, yeah. 
I said, you see that window that looks a little different than all the others? And he goes, yeah. I said, Alan, we're watching you. And he goes, what? What are you doing? I said, we're watching you. He goes, what? Why? Why? What? You know, I, and I said, no, Alan, we're not. But I just wanted to uh, get you at your own game. Have a good day. <laughs> you know, I knew it was in New York. I knew there was a window. There's always a window. And there's always sure. A window. sure. <laughs> no, th that, that's fantastic. How, how, how many Vivos locations are there presently globally? Well, I won't tell you how many locations. There's more than we publicize, but we currently have enough space for 10,000 people. 10, we have another... Right. Yeah, we have another facility coming online in the near future. Uh, it's 3 million square feet in the Midwest uh, near the Adirondacks. Yeah, I don't even have a concept of what 3 million square feet is. Is well, that the size of a Walmart? Is it bigger? What is it? The Walmart is about 100,000, 150,000 square feet. All right. It's the size of Chicago O'Hare. It's the size of the biggest things you can imagine. It's huge. It's all fully paved with either concrete or asphalt. It's got 30-foot ceilings, 30-foot. So, And it's fully illuminated uh, inside. We're adding all the life safety equipment from uh, power generation to uh, water uh, supply deep underground wells air filtration, blast doors that can handle a nuclear blast from 10 miles away. It will be impenetrable. And uh, it is going to be the largest shelter on Earth. Um, but we're not yet releasing where and the name or anything. It's still got a few little details. But it will accommodate in itself 10,000 people. It's got a and this, this is a city. I mean, you're going to have... From what yeah. I've read, at least, you're going to have movie theaters down there, gyms. Uh, yeah. Is that yeah. right? Uh, yeah, gyms, archery, uh, shooting galleries. Uh, we even have a lake uh, illuminated like the Disney whatever, you know, and we'll have a beach and rowboats, and you can go on your little ro rowboat love cruise down below. Hydroponics, aquaponics, we're going to grow food of all sorts. Uh, you know, the gestation down there will be uh, perhaps – uh, indefinite. And, and so, sorry, yes. and so then we, what we're providing is everything to support and secure and save you. We're even thinking of bringing in some military. So they have place to store some of their heavy equipment for, uh, I'm talking tanks, helicopters, uh, Apaches, Sikorsky's things that if there were a major geological geo, ge or earth event, they want to protect them underground safely and then bring them out, deploy them afterwards for the rebuild of the, or the survival uh, phase. And so the, there may be as much as a million square feet of, of government storage, which you would, we've done the planning and the mapping. It's, you wouldn't believe how many helicopters, tanks, trucks we can accommodate. And they bring them right through. The door is 20 feet wide and 30 feet tall. So Robert, I have so many questions, man. Let me fire off a few if, if you don't mind. So I, I understand that. <laughs> I should join you. I wasn't prepared. See, look, I'm already already not prepared. Uh, it's not all about money for you, I understand. Is that right? It's not, it's no. not only the wealthiest that can buy spaces. 
it has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with a mission that I'm on that I was given when I was um, 22, I think it was. I, uh, or 23. Um, I had a company. I had 100 employees. Uh, I invented the inflatable industry, those big beer can cigarette packs you see around, special events. I started that, got all the patents, put King Kong in the Empire State Building in 1983 as a big publicity event at Made Time Magazine and so on. Shortly thereafter, I sold out. But I was inspired when I was doing that business. Actually, yeah, it was 1982. And what I got was a voice in my head that was crystal clear. I've never heard it since, but it was like the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And it was a female voice. And she said, Robert, you need to build deep underground bunkers or something that's coming our way, an extinction level event. I was very happy not to know that. I, I had no interest in any of that stuff. I was an entrepreneur, you know, 24, 25. I had a Rolls Royce that I bought myself. I started with $500. So a few years later, I built this company up. I had a Rolls Royce. I had a biplane, 1941 Boeing Steerman but I flew to Alaska and back. Uh, I had a boat and I had a house on the beach in La Jolla, California. I didn't need this crap. And yet it was like so profound and so pervasive, persuasive that I kind of dropped what I was doing, which I was hundred percent focused. I couldn't hear or see anything, but what I was doing as an entrepreneur and told a few friends, got in a car, drove up into the mountains in Southern California looking for a vacant gold mine or something that was already mined out that could be hardened and blast or, but big enough for with you could accommodate a thousand people with hospitals, kitchen, cafeteria, all that. And I didn't know how to build it. I didn't know how engineering wise, and I didn't know how to pay for it. And I said, I can't afford to do this. How, how am I going to pay for it? And at that time, what was popular was the gym, call it the gym model, you know, like 24-hour fitness. You pay a fee, you get the right to go there. And so I was thinking, hmm, that could work here. And I even came up with the number, $10,000 per person. That was $82, $83. And shortly after that, I gave up. I said, you know what? It's crazy. I got to focus on what I'm doing. And in 1983... NASA announced that they found Nibiru, Planet X. It made the cover of U.S. News and World Report in December of 83. It made the New York Times, the New York Post, and so on. It was real. And John, uh, Ronald Reagan, president at the time, said, wait a minute. They said it would be here in 50 years. And Reagan knew the consequences of public alarm and said, we cannot let this out. We got to put it back in the bag. And so he wrote an executive order that no uh, government employee or agency can ever, ever talk about it again. And so they put it under the carpet, back in the bag. But it was already out. And what they found it with was a, oh, what was it called? Uh, a infrared telescope, the IRAS. Uh, not telescope, satellite. And uh, they had pretty good pictures of it and so on. It's been looked for and searched for since biblical times, since the 
Sumerian time, since Noah's time, since every time it's ever passed through our inner solar system. And so that was the reason I, I was inspired to do Vivo, I was thinking that's coming, okay. One of the things the message said to me was, something's coming from somewhere else. It's coming our way, which means it's not here. It's not Trump. It's not Biden. It wasn't a little John, little, I call him little, little, little Dong Long or whatever. Um, and, uh, and it was none of the above. But what was the most interesting is that the government started building deep underground military bunkers across. We've all heard of this, we, but we all think it's a rumor. These things actually exist. No, they actually exist. I can tell you they exist. I've had okay. contact. I've had contact over the last, uh, what have I been doing this, 13 years? From higher military insiders that say, Robert, you're absolutely right. We know what you're doing and we endorse what you're doing because I'm the only guy, the only company providing an equivalent military grade shelter for the general public. Their shelters are just for themselves, just for, the for, for VIPs or whatever it may be in their no, estimation, in their continuity, estimation, continuity of government with underground rail tram systems to get from Washington to Denver in 20, 20 minutes, things like okay. that. And so, so we all know that. And I can tell you for a fact, there is one under the Denver airport. There's one near Taos, New Mexico. Um, but they're up and down the Rockies. And why did they choose that? Because it's high ground. Um, mm -hmm. let, me, let me give you a little thing that every, everything I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you everything, but I'm going to tell you enough to go research it on your own. Because otherwise, you know, you're probably not going to appreciate it. There's a thing called the third secret of Fatima. Have you ever heard of it? Third secret of Fatima. No, no. Okay. So uh, good education. In 1907 or 08, three little children uh, in their like seven, eight, nine, two girls and a boy were out playing near a grotto in the field. And all of a sudden, an apparition of the Virgin Mary appeared almost holographic, in front of them, floating just above their heads. They dropped to the ground, started praying, and um, the Virgin Mary, the Holy Mary, told them something that was uh, catastrophic that was going to happen. And they were horrified, and they, the, the session ended. They went home, told their parents. Their parents said, you're lying. This is crazy. If she would do that, you, you didn't see it. You're just fantasizing. So the next time they went out, the parents went with them. And the parents saw for themselves a second uh, apparition. And in this case, she told them a little bit more. And at this point, the parents were believers. And they went back and talked to the local priest and the bishop. And all of a sudden, the whole town knew it. And so the third time they went out there, hundreds of villagers went with them. And there are historic photos. You can just search uh, Third Secret Fatima. And you'll, in uh, what Fatima was, is it's a town in Portugal, Fatima, Portugal. Okay. And so you'll see a picture of these people in their appropriate 1907 garb, all black hats, you know, capes and so on. And they're all looking up in the sky with their mouths open at the same exact thing. And in that, apparition she told them the final secret 
Well, anyways, the kids took the secrets to the church. The church didn't know what to do with them. So they wrapped them up and sent them off to the uh, Vatican. The Vatican immediately saw the consequences of making, letting this go public. So they put it in their vaults, in their deep underground vaults. And it's said that two of the um, events have already happened. And I don't know w whether it was World War I, World War N, World War II, or what. The, in 1982, Pope John Paul was at a bishop of, con of uh, at a conference of bishops in Germany. And one of the bishops asked him, could you please tell us what the third secret of Fatima is? So far, only the Pope has known. And he said to the bishop, what good would it do for me to satisfy your vicarious interest to tell you that the ocean are going to leave their basins and billions of people are going to suddenly die. He didn't say how, what was going to cause it. That's all he said. Now that parallels Noah and those events. It parallels geological events known as pole shifts, where the shift is so sudden. Think of kicking a bucket of water or a swimming pool sideways where the earth goes one way, the water goes the other. And that's why it leaves its basins and cascades across the, uh, the earth. Noah's Ark was apparently found at 11,000 foot altitude on Mount, um, Mount Ararat in Turkey, right? Arafat, that's right. And, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that's going to survive that unless you do have an ark. Um, our, our bunkers can survive submersion. The one in South Dakota is at 4,000 foot altitude. It's far away from all fault lines and so on. Uh, so either you go up or you go deep and, you know, so we've got both, but um, I can tell you this stuff has happened before and it's going to happen again. What's currently going on in America with Washington, with the election, with uh, a, a, what may be a collapse of government, um, a rebellion, a third world war, uh, a total meltdown of our country uh, or a third civil and uh, which will likely lead to a world war because when our guard is down, we're fighting. That's perfect opportunity for China or Russia or anybody else to march in. Sure. And the UN has already been said that they're prepared to come in and house to house search for everything they don't want you to have. In 1933, the Nazis had a thing called the book burn. They, booked, mm -hmm. they burned millions of books trying to change history. And that's what they're, that's what they're going to do again. It's 88 years since then. What they're going to do Christ is... Of course, a night of glass. Yeah, that, sure. They're going to go door to door, mm -hmm. and they're going to take anything religious, symbols, Bibles, paintings, books. Uh, they're going to take your guns, your ammo, anything and everything that is to try and strip religion from society and anything you can do to fight them. It's going to happen. It's already been, it's out there. Everybody knows it. You know, the problem is people won't, everybody's going to believe what I'm saying is true when it happens. But they won't act on it now. Let me, I got so many questions. I want to fire a couple at you. What do you think, and I think I got the answer, what's the most likely extinction event in your opinion? If it goes down in our lifetime, what is it going to be? 
Bar barring a zombie apocalypse, what do you think we're looking at? I think it's a natural Earth event. I think it is going to be a pole shift. And that's going to be caused by something from space. It said that Nibiru, a.k.a. Planet X, has a strong enough magnetic pole to tilt mm -hmm. this planet suddenly 90 degrees. So okay. the, North pole, the North Pole will be at the equator. And that's what causes the flooding in the, in the oceans and so on. You know, you go back and historically, even in South Dakota, guess what? There's bones, archaeological digs on my property. I own a military base up there of nine square miles. Amazing. And uh, there's things on that property I haven't even seen yet. We discovered a lake the last time I was up there, a big lake. I didn't know it was there. Wow. And so there's all sorts of things, but I've heard they've discovered fish bones, ancient, you know, prehistoric um uh, uh sea creatures and uh i know they found at least one maybe two and so what does that tell you the the oceans were there at one point we all know that. yeah in south dakota wow so so assuming that is the event then robert how much how much warning will we have well i think you're gonna it's gonna you're gonna see it first in the skies it will be they can't they won't be able to deny it you know, okay. there's some that say that Google, Earth, and all the they already know, and they're already smudging it, and so on. Um, there are plenty of photographers and uh, astronomers that have seen it. And ironically, about 10 years ago, there was a string of uh, astronomers suddenly dying off for unusual circumstances. They work as pairs in the middle of the night, two astronomers in the, up in this... Uh, telescope in the middle of the night and what would happen is the f one would die off oh he had a sudden cancer and then the second one would the next week drive off cliff and so a lot of surprising suspicious deaths that you know aren't coincidental and it didn't happen to one or two it happened to many and okay. so who were those who were those astronomers those were astronomers that knew and they were ready to tell the world. And they don't want, the, the governments of the world don't want this out. If it is true. Right, so they, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to figure out then. It, I'm a member, let's say I'm a member of your one of your communities. Yep. How do I know when it's time to tell my boss, hey, I'm taking work off for a week or forever? How, is there a, do you know? I mean, how does a word spread where people well, that are part of your communities? When it gets to that point, you're probably not going to tell them you're taking time off. You're going to say, hey, buddy, go after yourself. Well, I, was being, I was being facetious, of course, yes. But, yeah. but how do we know at that time? You're just going to know. Either your instincts are going to tell you or we're going to see it in the sky. They, can, they will no longer be able to cloak it. So we'll, we'll, what are we going to have? Weeks notice? Months notice? I don't know. I, don't have, I do not have the answer when. All right. All right. I don't even have the answer to what. What's going to get us first? Is it going to be a uh, civil war in America? Is it going to be, you know, socialism, communism? Is it going to be, we're all going to detention camps for re-education? Re, uh, re I don't know. That's what the I'm common. Sure, I'm sure nobody knows, but you would probably have a better idea than just about anybody. That, that's why I wanted to uh, get your take on that. I, I, I do. And I can give you the signals and the signs, and I'm giving a few to you right now. But mm -hmm. let me just say this. 
we studied every possible scenario, every catastrophic scenario. And uh, we made a chart. And in that chart, we said, okay, this happens, then this happens, then this, this, and this. Guess what? They all end the same. There will be survivors, but very few survivors. And they are going, it's going to be hell on earth for them to try to survive. So, and obviously the best, best spot is underground in, in, in one of your cities, if that's the correct word for it. Well, how it, many always, it, always, it always has been. You know, when the asteroid hit and killed the dinosaurs, you know who survived? The tiniest creatures that mold underground and, sure. and waited them out. Cool. The same thing here. The Earth is the best protector. You only need about six feet of Earth above you to stop radiation. Uh, do you know where the the term six feet under came from? Why they chose to put it? <laughs> I, I don't, but it's funny when you said you only need six feet above you. And most of us don't like thinking like that, but this is a different way to look no, at it. No, it's a different way of, different type of six feet. Right. Where it came from was the plague in Europe, the Black Plague. They asked the coroner, what do we do with all these bodies? He said, bury them. And they said, how deep? And he said, six feet. He had no reason to say that. He just pulled it out of his hat. And it turns out that is the exact distance minimum you need to stop biologicals from coming out or radiation from getting in, in our case. So, you know, you, 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 you're, you've got to be prepared to go. You, you know, a lot of people say, I got a bug out bag. I got three days of supplies. Yeah. So to bug out where? The mount- right. To the mountains, to the desert where you don't have anything. And where everybody else is going, a lot of people say, I'm going to go to the Ozarks. That's a safe place. Really? So you're going to meet a million people in the Ozarks that have nothing or three days and they're out. Now what are you going to do? You have no. And that's not going to save you from epic events, earth changes. I think we're going to see some major earth changes. I think the spiral has already started. Um, And I'll go back to the third secret of Fatima. Uh, I've been told by somebody that is very, very uh, spiritually connected, let's put it that way, not religious, but my producers on our network show we're working on, they talked to her and they said, wow, this woman's the oracle. She knows everything. She knows what happened. She apparently claims to have lived 40,000 years ago many lifetimes. She's been here for every one of these extinction events and she has a hundred percent recall. And she's come to me three years ago and said, Robert, do you remember who you are? I said, no. She goes, do you remember me? I said, no. She goes, I said, why should I? And she goes, we were part of those events. And I said, what event? She goes, Noah. And I said, are you saying I'm Noah? She goes, no, you are a Noah. And I said, what do you mean by that? She goes, there were many, many Noahs. Noah in the day meant captain of the ship. And she was on my ship. She was one of the mystic, what she call herself, a uh, alchemist And um, in the day. And she said there were 40,000 survivors of that event. And um, uh, there wasn't a single Noah. That's the myth. But these ships did have survivors and that's who we call the ancients have you ever met somebody and you said wow you're very deep you have a very old soul you you know mm-hmm. like I know you've been around 
those are those are ancient. And I said, yeah, so yes, I, I'm familiar with the term. Yes, of course. Right. Okay. And she she is an ancient, and she's here now. I said, well, what are you doing? And she said, I'm here to help people get through. And she goes, there's about forty thousand of us on the earth right now to help people get through. And I said, and how many are going to get through? And she said, not many. And I said, so what, why are the others here? What are they going to do? She said, a lot of people are here, uh, not even with a soul, but they're here to witness the event, to experience it. They just want to experience it. And I said, really? And I said, so uh, why? She goes, not everybody is here to survive, and everybody's meant to survive. And you would say, this is crazy. And I did too. But I've met with her, oh, three or four times in person. Uh, she sought me out up in South Dakota. Um, I bought her a computer one year because she, she couldn't get on the net. So I said, here, let me buy a laptop. And then she told me she couldn't afford the gas to get to Starbucks to get it to work, get Wi-Fi, because she lived out boonies. And so I said, okay, um, what do you need? And, I told, and she told me. And then all of a sudden she told me she was really struggling. She had an ex-husband who was fighting her in court and kept, I don't know, three or four million of child support away from her. And I mean, I couldn't hear, I couldn't help but, the, you know, feel for her in the desperation. I offered her free space in, in South Dakota. And she said she didn't have the gas to get there. And she was pretty close. I said, I'll pay for your gas. And she goes, no, I got to stay here and continue to fight the courts on my husband. I said, give it up. You're fighting a losing battle. Your job here on earth is not to fight your ex-ass husband. Your job is maybe to help spread the light. I can give you a national limelight. I can put you on, I create a whole TV show around it, and I can promise you. And then I got my producers in touch, but she all of a sudden vanished. And here's how she couldn't pay her phone bill. So I have no way. Then the phone was disconnected right now. I have no way to reach her. I would love to, I would have her sitting next to me to tell you what she knows and what she knows will blow you away. She told me two years ago before all the crap that's happening now is happening that America is going to be dismantled over the next five years. Dismantled. Mm -hmm. That's a strange term. And then she said, uh, well, she said she knows the third secret, and it will be revealed in March of this year, 2021. She said um, that America is going to go down uh, like the Phoenix, but it will rise again in 2025. She said the pandemic she, she told me about that six months before it happened, before anybody was thinking pandemic. She told me. And she right. said it's going it's to live on until about 2029 when it'll finally burn out of all its mutations. But she said it, by then there'll be no hospitals, there'll be no insurance companies. They're all going to be white. So uh, she goes in, I mean, she, I can't tell you how much I've taken pages and pages. I would sit with her or call her once a month and just to have information insight. And I would try to keep, keep notes and very cryptic. And because the words and the language she uses are not things that we're familiar with that we would normally use. It wasn't a fake. I can guarantee you she was not fake or fraudulent. She knows. And um, so apparently I'm here for a reason. She's here for a reason. Uh, you know, I often try to send her messages through the ethers, call me, get back in touch with me. I need to talk to you. Um, and I hope that someday she will. All right. And uh, 
she deserves her own television show. I told her to start writing a book. She, she can't. She's an astronomer. She's uh, got a lot of, she's a scientist. She's got a lot of heavy degrees behind her. And she is super, super intelligent. But other than that, you know, uh, I mean, that's just one of the validators. I got so many people coming to me all the time with so much information. But I can tell you what we're going through right now will be a civil war. All right. We're going to fight the communist socialist takeover. We're going to, that will lead to uh, an invasion by either China or Russia, but probably China, who will come at us when our guard is down and we're weak and we're split and divided. And that'll lead to a world war. There will be nukes. And you're going to see secessions of state from the union. All right. I think Texas and North Dakota, South Dakota are going to be right up front. I'm not so sure about California anymore, but maybe. And, uh, and so those are going to secede. And combined with a world war and an economic collapse, because how many people are losing their jobs and their businesses? By design, by design, the whole thing. You know, the statistics for the flu for 2020 were zero. So I, I do want to interrupt. I don't want to go too far down this hole. I have so many questions I want to ask you still, if that's okay. Uh, and I want to go back to your facilities because to, uh, this, it absolutely fascinates me. So you're building one right now that can house 10,000 people. I know you have others, some you don't publicize. How many are available right now for public consumption? Somebody out there um, saying, you have five? Got, you know, I've got space in Indiana in a very large shelter. Uh, okay. Still have spaces. That one's turnkey, ready to go. All you got to do is show up in your underwear. Southern Indiana. Very, very safe location. Built by the military during the Cold War to withstand a, yeah, I've heard different numbers, but let's say the, a 10 megaton within 10 miles. And then what's so, down? What's in there? Someone shows up in their underwear. Briefly, it, what's what's there? Well, hopefully they won't show up in their underwear. We don't want to see it. But they, uh, it's well, it's an underground. It that's all. Yeah, right. It, that's right. Uh, it's an underground cruise ship. It's got that's how it's been defined by the media. It's got yeah. everything. It's got a gym. It's got uh, a dog pound area. It's got. It's like a submarine with two of everything, every piece of equipment uh, from two generators to uh, septic systems to hot water heaters, two laundromats uh, complete. What it's, about medical, uh, medical facilities? Yep, we got medical facilities to the extent that we can. We don't have uh, prescription medicines because we're not. We can't. So people have right. to bring their own stockpile and bring their own. Or... Mm -hmm. Go to go to a uh, uh, you know something more uh, natural, you know perhaps. Uh, I would say you probably wouldn't want people on meds down there anyway, right? Right. In some cases, in some cases, we may have to sedate because they're not going to handle the pressure very well. They're going to be crying in the beginning. There's going to be a lot of crying and a lot of tears because of what they know. Indiana. How many people could fit in Indiana? It's designed for 80 people. We can take a few more. Um, and who, and that, who runs and it? Has, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. It has a, it has a kitchen that can accommodate, uh, you know, several meals a day for 80 to 100 people. It has all the food stock, all the fuel for a year. It's got deep underground water wells. It's got uh, bedroom suites 
Um, it's got a theater. It's got a big dining area. It's uh, uh, lounge areas. It's very comfortable. People that have bought in never even saw it and went there a year, two years after they bought in. They said, Robert, you outdid yourself. This thing is amazing. I had media go through all sorts of major media. They've all said the same thing. Wow. This is far bigger and better than we could have imagined. But then we did South Dakota. South Dakota was an ex-military base that um, was called Fort Igloo, where they made and stored bombs for World War II to be uh, dispersed around the world. Funny, I had a Japanese news crew with the number one Japanese host, like Barbara Walters, and her whole crew. And they came over, and we're standing on the mountain, and she asked, you know, what was all this for? And I said, oh, back in 1942, the U.S. government made bombs, stored bombs. There were millions of bombs out there in these giant bunkers. There's about 900 bunkers, each one 2,000 feet square. Wow. Uh, they're domes, they're concrete. So they're bigger than the average house, 2,000 square feet. And they stacked them to the hilt. And I said, and then the government, you know, they would send them around the world to, uh, during the war as ammunition to, you know, to fight the war. I never said Japan. I don't think she connected. <laughs> but, That's a pretty easy connection, but okay. All right. I didn't, yes. I didn't go there. So it's just, we've had a lot of irony also with German uh, media, a lot of them. And uh, going, to, going to that facility. But anyways, it's nine square miles is what I bought. I purchased it from ranchers who purchased it from the city who got it for $100,000 the whole base from the military army when they shut it down in 1967. It's a clean base. It's gone through, they've gone through with a fine tooth comb for all sorts of contamination. There's nothing there. Even the worst thing, they had mustard gas or some type of gas. Its shelf life is like a week, maybe, maybe a month. So we're talking 1942. All gone, all dissipated. All There's gone. nothing. Sure. Is anybody living down there right now? Yeah, we have about a dozen families living in their bunkers. They're completing okay. their bunkers as we speak. Some are really uh, fully completed. Uh, Vivos also builds out the bunkers if they don't have the time to do it. We do what's called a, you know, it's basically a first class uh, fit and finish, uh, giving them five bedrooms, uh, exercise room. Big, I saw the photos. Room. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I see what it looks like. It's amazing. Sure. Yeah. And so all that's uh, it, for a price of, oh, a new Mercedes. Uh, or the basic bunker is thirty-five thousand. The price of what? What do you get for thirty-five thousand? A mid-class, mid-sized car, um, or low-end Jeep. Um, mm -hmm. The so you get a for thirty-five thousand with Vilas, you get a twenty-two hundred square foot bunker that'll accommodate about twenty-four people, very comfortable. But you won't sell. You won't sell to just anybody, though. Well, we do, we're very selective and we're just trying to weed out the crazies. And I got to tell you, you know, we do as best we can. We have a psychologist aboard, but some of them slip by. And when they do, we find out pretty quickly. And when we do, we usher them out. We, you know, make, buy them out and tell them it's not for them and so on. So, you know, look, I don't go to bed with people, people, you know, find a date and, go to bed with them and get married to them and five years later find out who they really married, who they really are. I might even know. You know, we do background checks and everything, but 
you don't know people's real personality until you've been with them for a while. So that's okay. We have rules and regs. I call them the Disney rules and regs because they're um, Disney-esque in the sense that you can't touch anybody. You can't look at children. You can't touch children. I was going to ask you about all this. Okay. That's all right. Good. Good. And those are grounds for those are grounds for expulsion. You can't be running. Who enforces these rules? Uh, the security team. We have an on-site security team made up of members, ex-military, ex-police. Um, it's well secured, and that security force is growing as the facility grows. Okay. It, it, we could, we're not done building out. You know, we, we've done the first section. There's about a dozen sections. We may not be done for five years, or we could be done in six months. It's market-driven. So, but it's epic. I can tell you every media from CBS to whoever that's been there with their cameras have stood on a hill that's on the site that you can see 50 miles in every direction. And uh, so we can see you coming on a dirt road that you, the only road in, and we can see you for about six miles approaching. Wow. Good luck. And good, so. Good, yeah. Good perimeter security. Wow. Yeah, we have it all. But anyways, they've been up on top there. Some famous television hosts that you would know and they've said oh my god i would not have believed it if i didn't see it how big it is it's so big that you can stand at one end and look as far as you can see and all you see is a speck on the horizon that's a bunker or a row of specks those are the bunkers the this the the it's about four miles by two and a half or something and um and so and then it's surrounded by natural government, U.S. government, preserved land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody's going to invade this place. My security team, I got a colonel from the Army, Apache helicopter pilot. I got his crew, his team. Nobody's going to invade the place. Plus, we're out in the and middle of nowhere, South Dakota. What's your capacity? What's your uh, human capacity there? That one will be five to 10,000 people. Five, five right? to 10,000. All right. And where where do you go? Where do you go when all the shit comes down? Is that are you going to South Dakota? No, no, no. I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> all right. So you have one in Mexico. No, uh, the you know I was talking to a friend today that's going to Cabo, and I said it's probably one of the safer spots because you're surrounded by water. You just got to worry about people from northern Baja coming down or the government itself. But uh, it, it's a livable area, but there is no safe place on Earth. Trust me, we've discussed this all the time. And in the last couple of weeks, I've been asking people, where would you go if you had to leave America and you had, you had five minutes to decide? And the uh, reaction is always the same. And these are people that I know that are already members. They say, I don't know. I haven't given that any thought. And I said, well, let's do it together. And so I say, would you go to South America? Oh, I don't know about that. It's kind of lawless. And I said, uh, Uruguay, Argentina sections, very remote, uh, certainly parts of Chile, if, but it's very uh, uh, active, you know, geologically active and a victim of a tsunami, mega tsunami. You know, Peru, Ecuador, things like that. And they, they will say, oh, I'll go to uh, uh, what's called uh, Australia and uh, New Zealand. Yeah. New Zealand, thank you, my brain, brain fart. And I said, well, I've been to New Zealand many times, but guess what? It's closed. You're not getting in. 
unless you have a secret way to get in. And then you got to hide in secret. You're not going to get in anymore. So you go to Australia and you're going to have to go to the outback, get away from the people. And there's a lot of critters out there. If you're not prepared, they're going to get you. So uh, then we talk about, well, how about Mexico? No. How about Africa? No. How about, you know, Italy? No. And you know where we end up is I always go back and I say, well, what about America? Um, we, uh, let's say we just stay here. Where would you go in America? And the common immediate response is South Dakota, because it's one of the most constitutional states and it's, um, uh, always going to be that way. Strong first, second amendment believers. It's wide open country, like-minded people. It's high altitude. It's away from all known natural, uh, dangers other than Yellowstone, which is about 350 miles west. But by the time it gets to us, the ash would be like snow, a couple feet, maybe three. And you know what you do with ash? You treat it like snow. You just shovel it off the roof. But these bunkers want to be buried. They are buried under earth, and they can hit a lot more than they got now. So, you know, I'll be going to the nearest shelter. Let's put it that way. It could be South Dakota. It could be Indiana. It could be Europe. We have one in Germany. Um, built by the Soviets and or the new one of 3 million square feet, square, square feet for 10,000 people. And so what I like to, what we're building is epic shelters. They're uh, full cities, full communities that have like-minded people that will survive collectively whatever comes our way, meaning they're prepared and uh, they're their own mini force if they have to be these are it's not a militia it's not a cult it's not a religion i wanted to ask you like what the what the government for lack of a better word is in these places there's none other than rules and regs and uh but is there, a, is there a singular boss in each place or not necessarily yeah we have management we have security but we don't have that kind of commander uh okay. even when I'm, I'm considered well robert I'm not the dictator. I'm not the king. I'm not the commander. I'm, I, I'm, I put myself beneath all others. And why? Because I need to inspire them. You know, the, my expression is um, the best way to lead is from behind. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is just inspire them. As, so you're not pushing a rope up the hill, but you're making it, you know, so when I go around looking for uh, help, like security, I already knew within the membership that's there, who had skills, who was in the military, who has the mindset, and so on. So we, I just said, hey, guess what? You're deputized, and you're deputized. And another guy, I said, you're the uh, security director. And he got himself a $165 badge. Beautiful. And these guys take it very seriously. Um, because and, and the other thing I should say is they're already a community. On th they get together for every holiday. On Thanksgiving, there was like, 10 families, even a family that's not part, not part of Vivos that came in from the outside was a, a worker and very cherished. And there was so many turkeys and food brought that they had to have Thanksgiving the following day as well on Friday. Same thing Christmas Eve and Christmas, same thing New Year's Eve and New Year's. And so it's gotten to the point where if I call them at dinner time, my key guy, I start talking to them. The other guys are in the background joking, laughing, drinking beers, whatever. There's a real bond between these people, and they love it. They are so happy that I created the, the vessel for them to have a community 
of like-minded that's going to grow. And I think what's going to happen is over time, when this stuff happens, be it uh, political, be it a man-made event or uh, natural, there are going to be survivors all over the world. And those within North America, at least, are going to probably hear about Vivos and they're going to say, you know, I hear Vivos, they're survivors, let's go there. And so that's going to become a new mecca for the restart. And there will be a restart and we're prepared to restart. You know, all this I'm offering is life assurance, not insurance. In fact, we're working with a major, major insurance company. Everybody knows who can't reveal it yet, but they're going to start offering it as a, another form of life insurance, calling it life assurance hmm. to their, their high net worth or uh, upper end clientele. And they've got a lot of them. That's what they specialize in. And so they approached us. And so that's happening. We've got, Oh, uh, Saudi Arabians wanting to team up and pay you ready for this millions for a license for the right to be our partner in Saudi Arabia. The bill. I imagine so. Sure. I could absolutely see that. You know Robert, what I need? You, you know what, yeah, you know what I need from you and your listeners? I need some personal security. <laughs> so, if you do, seriously, I've got some very, very good guys, not in San Diego, but in Orange County, so not too far from you, that are really well-suited, I think, to everything you're talking about. Absolutely. Or if they want to become mem- if they want to become members, I will often do a trade for a bunker uh, or a, a generous deal if they're bringing something critical to the table, or if it's a hardship case that I, in fact, get ready for this. Another television show theme is, and I'll just kind of tease you with it, is uh, we are going to give away a dozen bunkers. And there's going to be a competition, and there's some guidelines, and it's for families of minimum of four that are ready, willing, and able to accept the prize and go over there and get started on building out their bunker. But, um, But there's some twists to that. There will be... You know, it's kind of like American Idol. You're going to come, you're going to talk your spiel on stage. You're going to have a bunch of uh, athletic and shooting cl- uh, courses and uh, so on and so on. Um, and then there's a grand finale. And it's a series of shows that leads up. Uh, and then there's a great surprise at the end. And with a, that's the part I can't tell you. And um, I think it's going to cause people from all over the world to say, hey, we should enter. You know, it's never a great know. concept for an unscripted series. And I don't, I don't want to keep you all night, but it brings more questions up. I, I know you were connected to Craig Pelagian at one point. Is that correct? I never met the guy. Okay. We had, right. but I, but I will tell you, we had a um, a show brought to. I had a young producer in New York um, come, mm-hmm. come to me, Robert. Let's do a show, but he was just you know, want a, a young producer. So I said, okay. And I gave him the idea for the show and script and everything. He said, this is great. He started shopping it. Um, who was it? Uh, one of the networks picked it up that they wanted it, but they wanted a bigger producer to handle it. So they went that, to this all the time in that business, of course. Sure. Yeah. So they went to Pelagian. Pelagian tried to ace my buddy out yep. and well, we don't, we don't need you. Then they negotiated everything with him and with the network, but they didn't negotiate with me. And about the, a week before, yeah, a week before Memorial Day, they came to me and said, "Well, 
we're ready to roll. Everything's signed. We've got a dozen episodes uh, bought and paid for. All we need is your signature. I said, no problem. Send it over. And let me see what you got. If it's uh, reasonable, I'll get it back to you in five minutes. If not, we're going to have a problem. They sent it over, and it was obnoxious. It was. I've, uh, I've seen those deals. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was. I I had a learning curve. It was one of the worst. And um, you know, for example, it got down to this was the Vivos was the prize. It was my show. I was the producer, and they said, "Well, we'll we'll mention Vivos twice in the show for no more than three seconds." Mm-hmm. I said, "What? Are you kidding me?" And they said, well, if not, you're going to have to pay for the commercial time. I said, no worries. You're going to pay. You're gonna have to pay for the bunker time. And so it, it got a little tedious. And then what the big uh, deal breaker was, they wanted an exclusive until the end of time throughout the universe, which is normal, but on everything, merchandising, licensing. And I, the only thing I could do was news or shows like this. And yep. I said, wait a minute. You, yep. you want me yep. all that up to be on a show. And I think the, the network was Spike. And anyways, so we signed anyways, and it proceeded. 30 days, 35, or 45 days later, they um, had done all the prep and pre, pre-production uh, stuff. They met with Spike, and Spike uh, gave Spike the budget. It was 600000 an episode. And Spike okay. said, are you crazy? We can't afford this. You that's, that's, take a, a, that's a lot for a first season unscripted. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. big budget. So they, they said, we, you got to take out some stuff. And that was before drones. So the guy said, well, we'll take out the helicopters. No, we need that. Well, we'll take out the animation. No, we need that too. And then Collegian said, well, I'll, uh, I'll forsake, give up my, uh, my fee for the first season. And okay. they said, no, that's not enough. Anyways, it got into a battle. Uh, there was a lot of friction between him and the head uh, at at, uh, at, at uh, Spike, and they actually escorted him out of the building and killed the show. And you know, I'm not for, for our viewers out there in podcast land. Uh, Robert and I are talking about a guy named Craig Belegian from Pilgrim Entertainment, commonly in the reality world known as one of the big 40. And a lot of our fans will know him because he's the, uh, along with Dana White, the creator of The Ultimate Fighter. And he did have a lot of problems at Spike with that show. So I've never heard this story, but not surprised by anything you're telling me. It makes well, a lot of at sense. The end of the, at the end of the day, let me tell you what happened. The deal died. Um, I got a copy of their uh, script and the show. And I wasn't in it. And I was supposed to be one of the key figures in the show, a host. You, would, you would think, sure, right. And, and a co-producer. And I said, what's this? And they brought in all these weird, you know, whoever. And I said, this was not the show. This was not the deal. And so I said, you know what? I'm really happy the deal, the deal died. I told my attorney to write a letter of rescission on the basis that there was nothing uh, exchanged, you know, mm-hmm. give and get. Mm-hmm. And we did. We pulled the plug. We canceled it forever. And then I said, I will never go on a show with that guy or be under his his production. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my my slogan is I'd rather have a I'd rather have no deal than a bad deal. 
Well, without right. question. And, and and you you should have a deal you enjoy also. It's not just business. You can have fun with it also. And there yeah, are good people know, to work with that. A bad deal will rot your gut for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish I didn't do that. I don't need bad deals. I turn them down left and right. But right now mm-hmm. we're working with a very high top five uh, network on a big show and good producers, good hearted. Everything's good. You know, you yeah. never know. You know the business. I, uh, I do. But, but in the mean, meantime, they're chasing me. Why? Because I'm getting so much. This is a global a historic biblical event that we're doing here. And you're the guy and the company leading this industry and the timing, this is it. I mean, it's time, right? So in 2007, I told my CPA who I'd been with for 30 years, I said, Hey, I'm going to do this new thing. And I told him what it was. He escorted me out of his office by the back door. And Mm -hmm. from now on for another four or five years, it was a cold relationship. He didn't. He thought it was crazy. And then he told me uh, about a year and a half ago he was retiring on January of last year, I think it was. And so I said, "Really? What are you going to do?" You know, retiring. He smiled and smirked, and he said, "Don't worry about it." A week after he retired, he was in Palm Desert golfing. He had a, a, a fatal heart attack on the on the course, and so I'm unable to show him what became of our little uh, business idea when I walked into his office. So hopefully right. from above, he sees, wow. It was just that I was ahead of, ahead of time there, but the time is perfect. He, I don't know anybody, including you, that wouldn't want a shelter if it was reasonably available and, reasonable, and you could afford it. Absolutely. Right. So wh- where, does, where does the person go? I, I know your website. But what's is that your primary destination? If people want to look more into it, yeah, yeah, it's the easiest. You go, you, you can just search the word Vivos, V I V O S. Yes, right. It means the living or to survive in Latin. You can search that, and we come up as the first ten thousand pages or so, and uh, click on it. You'll see our website. It's got a bunch of information, different sites, even some sh- clips from HBO show. Nat Geo, Netflix, and so on, all good stuff. And it, all throughout, it's got a little button that says apply for membership. First thing you have to do is do that. So we, we know who we're talking to. Then in a conference call set up be, be with you and one of our staff, and we just answer all your questions and see if, you know, if it's good for you. And then we do everything we can from financing to uh, helping in stages to just uh, offering you advice on how to glamp it. Glamping is a pretty cool thing where you get it set up with tents and, you know, you're basically camping under the dome, but you'll survive. And, you know, like think of it as a, a sheik's uh, tent. In fact, you're a businessman, right? Yes, sir. And co- coming from the uh, field that you do, you had big auditoriums, right? Arenas, auditoriums, yes, stadiums, all that fun stuff, yes. Indoor stadiums, right. yeah. And those are called, let's call them overhead, mm-hmm. right? I had an Arab tells me, told me once if I knew where the word overhead, overhead came from, and I said, no. And I said, I don't think so. He goes, it's an, it's an Arab term. I said, really? He goes, yeah. The bigger the harem, 
the bigger the tent overhead. So meaning you're going to have a lot, a lot of girls in your harem. You need a bigger tent. You got more overhead and you get more expenses. Anyways, just speaking about overhead. So Vivos is here. We're doing fine. We're doing well. We're here to help, but you got to help yourself. If not, you know, just remember, you know, somebody may say, well, I'm waiting for, I mean, I hope God answers my prayers or I'm going to pray. Hey, he's telling you now through me, maybe to heed his, his recommendation and his warning, prepare, you know, it's your Take duty. Action. Yes. Prayer is great. Faith is great. But what, what yeah. do they call it? Without works. What, what's the phrase? Prayer, faith without works. I don't, you know what I'm saying. You got to, you got to take action. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't sit back waiting for the government to help you. By the way, my battery is very low, so I may lose you. But before I do, let me just make a point. You know, there were people, I think 9-11 was a great example. There were people in the building and were waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Somebody with authority, the security guard from the building went to those people on the upper floors and said, go back to your desks. Yes, we there can we see go. you and hear you. You are back. Yes, it's sir. a miracle. <laughs> Actually, it looks better than it did before. We there you are. Stronger and better than he was before. So <laughs> there's, a, there's always a way through. Yes, you were saying. I forgot what I was saying. Uh, John, what was I saying? We were, oh, the uh, World Trade Center. So the guard represented the members of the government, an authority. And he went and told the people after the first plane crashed that they should go back to their offices. Everything's going to be fine. Those are what I call the uh, liberal people. Those that don't take responsibility for their own lives, believe the government's going to be there to take care of them. And they're always relying on the government to tell them what to do. So, however, a lot of people left the building. They flew down those stairs as fast as they could. Why? They, they had a gut level feeling that said, it's not right. This is gonna be a disaster. And those people ended up surviving. The people that listened to uh, somebody else for you know, advice, a government who was unqualified, look what happened. They didn't survive. So the key here is you have to have uh, self-responsibility. And you're going to find the key difference between, and I'll be political, liberals and conservatives, is liberals believe the government's going to be there for them. They're going to live off the government. They're going to get subsidies and everything else. Conservatives don't believe that. They believe it's their duty to do what they can to support and survive and every form of their life. So they're more self-responsible, right? And I think that's the crowd that we attract. Those are the people we attract. People that get it, that do a lot of research, that connect the dots, listen to all sorts of alternative media like yours, and are saying, hey, this isn't right. Main, CNN's not gonna tell us what's really going on, or Fox. And they're smart enough to say, hey, it's, this could happen. And if it does, if it does, I got insurance. That's all it is. And, it, and, and the funny thing is they can buy it and resell it in the future. 
where do you get any form of insurance that goes up in value? The, you know, the equity. And you still have the benefit of the insurance. If something happens, you're covered, you go. All right. And at the moment of truth, do you know what a Vivo space or a Vivo bunker is worth? Answer the question. Yeah, it's worth everything, man. I, I like Maybe. the term. I, go ahead. It's, price, it's priceless. And what would you be willing to pay to get in and with you and your family to, to survive? You'd everything pay you got, of course. Everything you got. That's right. right. Supposing that it still has value, cash may not. You got to have fungibility, you know, gold, silver, whatever it may be. Maybe you bring skills to the table that are mm -hmm. precious. You're a doctor, mm -hmm. maybe you're military. Maybe you're bringing a lot of extra food that you've stocked up or medications. There's a lot of things you can get in on, but don't count on. You know, you want to you want to be sure you've got to take the action. One of the things we don't do is we don't market. We've never advertised. We don't send out any publicity uh, PR releases. All we do is respond to the media. Uh, E-blast. We probably do one to our members once a year, maybe twice. I was working on one today. It took me all day to work on it. And it's just a draft because we don't want to come off as uh, wham bams, you know, trying to spam them and, and sell them. We don't sell anything. All we do is stand here to answer people's, people's questions to people that already get it. Either you get it or you don't. If you don't, so be it. I can't convince you if you're if you're a non-religious person that the Muslim Mus, what do we want to call it Musliminity or the faith is the way to go. Yes. And any more than I can convert you from that to Christianity. We're not here to convert. We're not here to preach, and we're not here to do to sell. That's my slogan. We don't sell. We just make it available. You buy it. And you would say, what kind of organization is that? You should have a big, huge sales team. You know how many leads? Mm -hmm. And we get hundreds of leads a day. But at the end of the day, what we found is the ones that want it are the ones that just, they're persistent. They come to us. It's about, take. I, I could absolutely see the, the model behind that. It makes all the sense in the world. I know, I know I'm going to hear from a lot of people now about this. I'm certain of that. And their next step is to go to your website. I want to make sure I, I understand that. And I appreciate the plug, but more than getting the plug, understand that I don't need the plug. All right, mm -hmm. we're doing fine. I know that. But I do want to get the message out to your audience. Well, that's and that's what, what I'm trying to do. All respect. I'm not. I'm not trying to plug, and I'm glad you think I'm. I am trying to help because I want to help, no, of course. No, but no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for people that that want to take action. That's why I'm asking. In, I just want to make sure they know what to do including yourself, you ask what to do. And yep. is that a good plan? It's not a bad plan. You're in a remote area on an island. You're going to have less other than major earth changes. You may have a tsunami problem. You may have earthquake problems where you are. Um, yes. You know, John in New York, one of your producers, uh, I would rather be in Hawaii than I'd rather be in, than be in New York. I mean, we've all seen the movies when the shit hits the fan in New York. What are you going to do? How are you going to get out? So let me give you a little tip on how to get out of New York when the shit hits the fan. John, you ready for this? No, I'm just I'm just doing a pregnant silence <laughs> for for a reaction. It was fun. Um, the, how you're going to get out is let me recommend. 
go to your local sporting goods store, big one, box store, or Amazon. Find yourself a nice Avalon or rubber raft, whatever the plant, the types are, for the size of you and your family and maybe a little supplies. Get a electric motor that uh, attaches to the back. A little outboard kind motor. Of bag, put it in the closet in your in your condo or apartment, wherever you're living in New York. And uh, at the moment of truth, when everybody else is scrambling, head to the river, whichever river, Hudson preferably. Put it down, inflate it, start it, get everybody aboard, and head north. Head up the Hudson, get out of the city. And if you really want to be prepared, find there's all sorts of homes bordering the Hudson that, you know, when you're in the countryside, uh, maybe five miles up river, whatever you can get to. Rent a garage from a little old lady, and there's plenty of those, and have your SUV parked in that garage with fuel and extra fuel and food and supplies and blankets and everything you're going to need to bug out. And so you're out of New York and you have a bug out place to go. Once you get that vehicle and you're already out of, out of uh, uh, what do we call them? What was uh, the town for Batman? But once you're out of Metropolis. Gotham, Gotham City. Yeah, once you get out of Gotham, uh, <laughs> you know, it's home, you're home free, maybe, but you got a much better chance than trying to survive with all the mayhem that's going to happen. And trust me, all the ugly things are going to happen. So uh, that's probably the only way that I know of. Don't think about a car. Don't think about the subway. Now, if you're Trump and you got a helicopter, that'll work too. But, uh, you know, we don't know. It could be an EMP that's the event. And by the way, I think we're highly vulnerable for an EMP attack uh, on America. And here's why. It would be at the Chinese to the precursor. EMP. EMP. What is that? Uh, an electromagnetic pulse that puts out millions of megawatts of electromagnetic en energy. It comes from an, it's a, it's a side effect of a nuclear device. If it's set off hundred miles above the earth over North America, it has, it'll knock out every electrical circuit, every fuse, every wire, every transformer, everything in the line of sight. So from a hundred miles up, you can see 2000 miles. You see all of America, North America, Canada, Northern Mexico, and so on. In a flash, in a nanosecond, it's all out. It's gone. And it's just one bomb. But guess what? It's very effective. And we, the mil U.S. military knows it's out there. We have them. The Chinese have them and so on. The U.S. may even do it themselves. If there was anarchy and an uprising, they may set that off to, to diffuse, to mm -hmm. come up with some kind of squash. Unfortunately, it'll take down the net. It'll take down Silicon Valley, which probably isn't unfortunate. And it'll take down everything electrical. You'll have no electricity in your house, uh, no water, no sewer, which needs electricity to be pumped. Uh, no food at the stores because no trucks are running and no factories are producing. Um, no internet, no phone, no radio, no nothing. You're back in the 17 or 1800. If you're in New York, how are you going to do to survive that? You're going to start growing food on your balcony if you had one? No. 
you got to get the hell out of there because you're going to be the lunch. And so one EMP is, will change your, your, your life completely. And it was reported in, nine, in 2008 when uh, Biden first got in, uh, there was a report from the Brookings Institute to the U.S. Congress that the number one threat America faced at the time was a rogue EMP. And they, uh, they claimed that 95% of Americans, if it was in our country, would be dead within one year. They would kill each other off one by you one. Know, Why? The, the reason I'm looking down is I'm searching something on my device. There's a movie out about this right now that I, I saw it, but I, and I even remember the actors. It was um, Evan, Evan, Rachel Wood and Ellen Page are the stars, two females. There's and also a movie. It's good. It's really movie. good. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, perhaps the road was about an EMP. They never tell you what the event was, that just everything is, is knocked out. And once it gets knocked yes. out, it'll stay out. Some of these reactors that we have, um, not reactors, but uh, uh, amplifiers, um, transmitters, um, what do you call those things uh, on the poles? The transformers. These are mega transformers. You see them as you travel. There's about a dozen in America that are linked and they take a year or more to build under normal conditions. So once they're fried and even your local uh, telephone pole transformers fried and the wire that carries the pulse from the phone pole to your house, which could fry everything electronic in your house, um, unless you got a very sophisticated EMP breaker and when that happens, it could start a fire in your house and everybody else's house because at the end of the wire, it sparks, all right? It sets off a, uh, a spark, which could ignite something. That's what happened in 15 or in 1859 when there was a coronal mass ejection from the sun equal to an EMP that hit the earth. And it was called the Carrington event. Some scientists figured out what just happened. But when it hit the earth, it took out, it followed the wires from the internet that we had at the time, which was called what? The um, uh, telegraph offices. And the wires would carry that transmission, a very long wave magnetic pulse with millions of volts. And it would hit, stop at the transmitter, you know, the, at the telegraph office. And where it stopped, it would start, it spark and it would start a fire. There was a lot of fires. There were also fires in farmers' fields where there were wood posts and barbed wire. The barbed wire would pick up the same signal. It would go as far as it could. And then where it ended, the wire ended, it would spark and start the pole to catch on fire and the surroundings to catch on fire. So even your own house is not protected. Uh, everything we know and cherish could burn from one EMP. It's the most oracle. You know what? What you're describing, the movie was called Into the Forest. I found it. And I didn't realize I had seen a movie about an EMP. It's exactly what it is. And it went down. In the, and the movie doesn't feel sensationalized at all. It's very slowly paced. It unfolds step by step, really in exactly the manner that, uh, that you're describing. Wow, it's a lot to, uh, it's a lot to not, think about. I'm, look, I'm not here to scare you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not scared. I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse. I'm 
not people in your audience. People in your audience may go, oh, he's just Mr. Doomsday, just capitalizing on people's fears. First no, no, all, they'll, they'll be cool. They'll all be cool with it. I'm not capitalizing. I'm not making any money at this. I made more no, money. I gonna, that, that's actually the last question I wanted to ask you. It, well, I had two two last questions. I'm sorry. And because I don't want, I, you've been so generous with your time, man. And I would like to talk with you again, if that's all right. Um, and invite you to that call I told you about as well. Um, yeah. Here's one question, and I, I'm guessing this is probably private, but South South Dakota, what did that cost you to build that place? Do you mind sharing that, or is that not for public consumption? No, it's okay. Um, I originally leased it from the ranchers for 99 years, okay. and they owned it, and they had these bunkers. They didn't know what to do with them, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I think I overpaid. Um uh, some people say I'm a good negotiator. I don't know. I paid them $1 up front. Okay. All right. And a piece of the action thereafter. Okay. Well, one of them uh, bailed. And so I now only had, of the partnership, I only had one guy to deal with. And then he got in trouble because the ranching business isn't doing too well. And his bank started looking for money on his Chattel mortgage on everything. So he had to come up with some money. So he said, do you want to buy it? He originally wanted $25 million for this property. I asked him what he was smoking, you know, and because maybe we can grow some of that stuff here. And uh, over three years that we were together working under the original agreement, his price dropped to 12 million, then 10, then eight, then six. And, uh, you know, he's... He, he demanded six. And I said, well, I'll pay you what it's worth. So let's go get some comps, you know, comparable sales. And we did. Mm-hmm. And the best we could come up with was 2.6 million. And he said, no, I'm never going to sell for that. Well, anyways, I bought it last summer for last spring for 2.6 million. But you probably put a ton of money into it also, I would imagine. Not that much. and But it's going to be a $100 million plus project, as is the big one I told you about, 3 million square feet. Our network, is, our network is going to be a multi-billion dollar network if you had to build it from scratch. And, um, and we will build that given enough time to do so. But we're always prepared that time could be up tomorrow and that's it. We did as best. And between we could. now, between now and then, is this a viable? But like, I, I know you're very, very successful in the business world. Is this business itself Vivos? Are you making money from this? Is it profitable? Well, I, I don't know. I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood when I was a kid, and if you ask a, a Jewish businessman, which just I hate to be racist, but um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, by the way. Before you say anything. I'm not religious. I'm not nationalistic, but I am. A, I am of Jewish heritage. All right, good. My son is quarter Jewish. My wife's half. But anyways, you ask <laughs> a Jewish guy how business, and they're going to go, "Eh, you know, it could be better." You know, they're never going to admit to making a profit. That's all I'm saying. I, I, and, and I figured that's where you were going, but I, I wanted to ask well, anyway. Let me say this: we work on a very narrow margin. Yeah, right? I've never brought in a partner. I would love to have a worthy partner that sees this for what it is, both a great business opportunity as time goes on, but 
also, I mean, you got a captive audience for a hundred years, you know, tenants and, <laughs> but, right. and a very low cost of, of sales. But on the other side of the coin, they may see it as a humanitarian effort. So instead of building another hospital or with their name on it or something, this is the ultimate philanthropist thing to do. That's how so I see it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Without question. And that's my mission. I was doing, I'm doing good. I haven't bought anything really substantially new since I started, but I have a 6,000 square foot Tuscan villa in Southern, on the ocean in San Diego. Uh, yeah, is a great area, man. It's beautiful. Yeah, airplane. I got everything, you know, it, I don't need to do this, but I have to, and I, I can't walk away from it. I'm stuck for the rest of my life. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a life's mission you're on there, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I do welcome that kind of uh, partner if they ever come along. But in the meantime, you know, you don't wait. You just do it. And I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've employed thousands of people. I've never worked for anybody. All right. So self-made twice over. Uh, I've gone through, you know, the high and the low and back to the high again. And it just takes a lot of tenacity. You know, your show is tough, whatever. Uh, I am. Talking tough, yes. I don't just talk tough. I am tough. And, and what, I mean, what I mean by that is I don't take shit from anybody. Okay. I don't have to. I command respect, six, eight, 310 pounds. Um, but I never use it. I've never been in a fight in my life, you know, ever. And uh, when I was a kid, I was 165 pounds and six foot eight. So I was vulnerable. But uh, all of a sudden, you know, and so, uh, you know, I think it takes a big personality, a big persona to step into these shoes to do this kind of a job. Oh, you God, know? yeah. Yes, Media for sure. I've had every network. They come to my home and that blows them away. It's a palace. And then they meet me and they go, oh, you know, and it's there's so much in the package. I don't have to promote it. I don't have to. Uh, what do you call it? The pimp it it's just there and and gratefully so i don't know why i got that original message i did not have the funds at a good business but i didn't have funds to do this i didn't know how to do it i wasn't an engineer um i wasn't interested in any, any of this crap doomsday whatever nibiru 2012 all that stuff i could care less it was so fun i was into bars you know and uh you know people asked me what i did my answer was uh I guess this is a, a mature audience. My answer was blondes, you know? Um, That's okay so, here. That's all right here. Real right. <laughs> so, um, meaning, uh, just a wise guy. We, we joke like crazy then and now. Um, but anyways, um, you know, because if you don't, you're not, you're not going to survive life. You know, you got to take it lighthearted. But I can tell you that even though I wasn't then, I now realize it was why I was chosen to do it because I developed the skills over the last 30 years from real estate to development, to finance, to engineering, technical, marketing, everything to the degree, uh, finance and so on, that I now not only can do it, but I have. And the proof is in the pudding. Had I used a lot of experts, a lot of consultants, I'd have been broke long ago. One of the things I found is I don't pay for the same legal advice twice. So you got to listen very carefully when you hire an attorney and have a contract drafted. 
and then make that contract yours. And it's a boilerplate. Uh, and so there's just, yes, you know, between attorneys, I mean, there's one thing I use very sacredly in that CPAs to stay kosher. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I, I, I'm lean and mean. We pick up, we use a lot of independent contractors. Um, I try to keep my payroll down as low as possible and the team as low as possible, bring in the experts when and where needed, wherever in the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, employment laws in California, um, you know, somebody from paychecks, a salesperson, I said, I don't want employees, not in California. And they said, you know what? You're absolutely right. You know, uh, this woman told her husband, you're not starting a business in California. You're not going to have employees because of, you know, the regs here. It's, it's crazy. So, um, mm -hmm. You know, it's expensive to have employees in California. I know. Yes. You, you come last, not first. Okay. Yes. But, my brother who's right down the road from you in uh, Irvine has 65 employees. So I, 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 I know the trials well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when I last had a business of a hundred plus, my day was a psychologist. They would line up outside my door and one after the other, they would just come in. Okay. Next. And I would listen to their problem and I have to give them a pep talk or whatever it is or straighten them out. And they'd leave next. And I noticed and I realized, what the hell is this? It's not why I'm in business. This is not what I'm here to do. And so, you know, uh, you got to rise way above it. Get your head way above the clouds. And that's where the tough guy comes in. Because if you, you know, I knew when I put my head up on this, stuck my neck out, it was going to be chopped. I was going to have naysayers, name callers, you know, you name it. And, you know, I've been in front of the biggest media in the world and with the most trite questions. Uh, I'll tell you, PBS uh, had me on, on a satellite radio broadcast. They were in San Fran. I was in San Diego and in a studio. And this little, uh, certainly liberal, uh, girl said, tried, you know, I knew it was going to be a gotcha. So anyway, she says, well, aren't you kind of like a modern day Noah? And I said, no, I don't aspire to be Noah, but I do know this, this shit's going to happen. And I had never said that before. The, the sound guy in the room is going, oh my God, you know, wow, you got it. Then a few minutes later, she said, uh, threw me another gotcha. She goes, well, you're kind of like a modern day prophet. And I said, no, I'm a not-for-profit. I'm not making any money at this. <laughs> and so, you, you, you have to be extremely quick when you're dealing with media because, and those were all impromptu. I was on a, a satellite call to Italy. Uh, I was a guest on their number one Sunday night show. I guess it was some kind of variety show. And uh, the whole country watched it. And I had a, it was eight o'clock in the morning Sunday here. And it was eight at nine there, at night there. And all of a sudden my phone rang. It was in my pocket. And um, I just ignored it. Then it rang again. I had forgotten to take it and turn it off. I tried to muzzle it, but it kept ringing. So I, uh, third time I said, excuse me. I pulled it out and I held it up high and I said, oh, it's the Popa. 
he's calling to get into vivos. And they all cracked up. That's, so, that's fantastic. Yep. You got to be quick. The other one that I, I do love a lot is when, you know, uh, they say, well, aren't you capitalizing on people's fears? And I said, you mean the fears that you create every every segment? Well, and, you know, and, and the thing is, I, I don't get that from you at all. And, I, and regardless, I mean, you, you, you don't come across that way at all. And I see it's not in your business model. I see you're not trying to sell. So kind of a moot question, regardless, I would say. But we're not capitalizing on people's fears. And I always turn it around. And I said, you mean the fears that you create and you capitalize on when you cut to commercial? I don't cut to commercial. You're, you're assuming I'm making money and I'm not. I've invested more into Vivos than I'm taking out. And then I said to one guy, but what is it that bothers you? Is the idea of survival or shelters, you know, a, a bad word? They're not bad words. They're not four-letter words. And he goes, no, I guess not. So you've got to be super quick with these guys. you got to be ahead of them. Uh, and succinct, and you better know, you know, be confident in who you are and what you got. And, you know, I am. Well, and, Robert, uh, I, I think we have some of the most fascinating people in the world on this show, and I, I don't think I've ever, um, I can't imagine doing something more more fascinating than what you're doing. I, I personally would love to learn more about it. Hope I have the opportunity to to visit one of your locations or more. Um, I'll certainly be in touch offline, and what we discussed earlier. Anytime, and, uh, bring, your, bring your buds, bring your group, uh, or just bring yourself and your producers. You can broadcast from Vivos. All right, we'll set up a little broadcast area for you in South Dakota, and that'll be, that'll be a great show. And we could surround you with members, dozens of members that are there. That would be that's really cool. And we should get Governor. Let's get Governor Christie there also. Well, everybody wants to get her there, but not for the same reasons. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, my friend, I, I will let you go. I'm going to be in touch soon. Uh, man, really, really good to meet you. I appreciate your time. And fascinating. I can't find uh, a better word. Thank you, Robert. Well, I hope I lived up to your tough guy standard. Uh, with that and beyond, my friend. Good. All right, you be Thanks. good and stay safe and your entire audience, please. All right. Apps, thank you so much, Robert. Very good much night. appreciated. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. And folks, normally we would uh I would ask John and Rachel to come on. It's, I I really want to talk to them about this, but and this is more information than anybody needs. I've got to go to the boys' room and I gotta feed my dogs. John and Rachel, if you're there and it's cool. I, like to give you guys a call in a few minutes because I actually would like to get your impressions on this. Um, everybody out there, thank you. That was Robert Vecino from Vivos. It's vivos.com. Uh, I tripped across it somewhat by accident not long ago and ended up down the uh, proverbial rabbit's hole. Uh, I'm trying to sort through it myself and what it all means and to, to kind of get my I'm curious my own viewpoint on it is. I'm not even sure yet. Um, I'm sure you have one. We'd love to hear from you. Check us out, please, at talking-tough.com. Uh, you can always write uh, through the site. Hope to hear from you. Thank you for watching. Thank you very much to our producers, Rachel Sartoris on the western half of the U.S., John Paws on the eastern, the two places that are getting nailed first, we understand. Anyway.
Good night, everybody. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, John. See you all soon. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.